Hello, and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. Good morning, church. I have been out the last two weeks, and I had a positive test on COVID, the coronavirus 19, if you will, and uh, Alyssa always loves it when I say the full name, the coronavirus 19. Um, and, uh, and I know that some cases are fairly mild, some kind of get you, and mine got me. Um, for about seven or eight days, it was tough to get out of bed, um, and just the aches and the pains, and um, feeling that my body was aging in dog years. It was unbelievable how I just couldn't get going, um, and so we quarantined as a family for 14 days. Um, I appreciate Pastor Andrew, uh, Miss Kathy, uh, Todd, and Dan stepping up to help with our services. We tried to pull off some technology uh, two weeks ago. Um, don't know how it landed, but we tried. Um, so anyway, I just really appreciate our church family powering through. Uh, what a year, huh? What a year this has been. Um, everybody ready re to repeat it again? No. <laughs> Man, this was one for the ages for sure. Um, but anyway, we made it through, and, uh, and we're, we're back. We're going to, uh, to worship, obviously, today as our Christmas worship. And next week, we had even talked about, you know, do we, do we bring the family back together, or do we just end our year? And so many people responded with, we want to worship. We want to be together. We want our church family in-house worshiping. And so we kind of went back and forth on that. But we will be here again next week. Um, and uh, we'll have kind of an abbreviated worship time, a message, and then we'll be out the door and on to 2021. Um, so we will be here next week. Um, this Sunday before Christmas is a Sunday that I always write a Christmas poem. And so this year I spent a little bit of time writing a Christmas poem that I would like to read to our family. "'Twas the Sunday before Christmas, when all through the meeting house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The bows and the wreath were hung with such care, evidence that Phyllis and her team had just been there. The children were nestled all in one cluster, mostly Stroops, Pains, and three little Myers. Bill Lowe took his pew and Dale Carr in the back to settle down for his Sunday morning nap. <laughs> Brett and Ashley, greeting was their morning task. Some shake hands while others wear masks. When up in the balcony there arose such a clatter, masked up worshipers full of chatter. Down in the kitchen, smooth as a wheel, our kitchen committee, they prepare awesome after-service meals. 
The moon on the breast of a new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. When what to my eyes spread across the acres, but miniature, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny Quakers. With the little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it was Mr. Hensley, first name Dick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers, they came. The glory girls, each Sunday, third pew, just the same. He whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Mary, now Lois, and the angelic Kathy. On Sandy, on Nancy, and some inked up grannies. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now quake away, quake away, quake away all. 2020, we battled COVID-19. From March to May, we worshipped in quarantine. We finally came back to much jubilation. The small family cleaned with much sanitation. Clothing the naked and feeding the poor. Getting the gospel out of these doors. Reaching our neighbor, loving our brother. Using our lives in service to others. Looking to a new day with eyes that are steady. Hearts that are focused and hands that are ready. 21 is upon us and 20 is to end. A new day, a new time, so let us begin. Away our glory girls flew, off the roof and out of sight. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <clears throat> Thank you. That's always a fun thing to do. With a little wrinkle of our COVID-19 in this year. You know, there are moments when you have to ask the question, did you really mean to do that? Anybody ever ask that question? There's a couple accounts that I follow on Instagram, and they're mainly like girl fails um, or girls getting hurt. That one is great. Check that one out. Um, but I really enjoy watching people get hurt. I know that that's weird. But like they walk and they slip on the ice or, you know, their purse gets stuck on the door and they, you know, rips them and they fall down. Um, but there's some great accounts out there. And you got to think, man, did you really mean to do that? Or there's these pranks that guys play on each other, which is hilarious. And you got to ask the question like, bro, did you know that your car is purple? Or they'll paint the car with this metallic paint and then when hot water hits it or cold water hits it, it turns it pink. Or, you know, you got to ask the question, did you really mean for it to go down that way? Um, did you really mean for them to cut your hair like, like that? You know how your hair looks right now? Did you mean for that to happen? I've learned to not ask my wife that question um, after she comes back from getting her hair cut. Just a little note to you guys, um, or ask the question, and I ask Alyssa this, did you mean to shrink every t-shirt that I have? That happens. I, I just run out of t-shirts because of how they get in the wash. But when it comes to the entrance of the king of kings coming to the world, you have to ask the question, did you really mean for it to go down that way? And I want to talk about 
how Jesus entered the world, what kind of a world did he enter, and compare and contrast to our time here in 2020. Did you mean to go through the birth canal? Did you mean to be born of a woman? Did you mean to be in a lonely stable? Did you mean to be squeezed out of the Ritz-Carlton whenever your parents were taking you back home and there was no room in the Hampton Inn? Did you mean to be born in Bethlehem, which was the smallest of all towns, almost a forgotten town? Did you mean for this thing to happen in tiny little Fairmount, Jonesboro, Summitville, Marion, upland area? Are you sure that this is the grand entrance of the king? Would you have imagined also that this time of year, that there'd be Americans in some places that would actually be breaking the law by bringing their families together to celebrate Christmas? Would you have imagined that in 2020, people would actually be coming to a church to worship in the safety of their church family, afraid not of anybody else attacking them, but their own government telling them that you're breaking the law by worshiping Jesus and celebrating the birth of Jesus if you come together in a large group. Fascinating times. 2020 has been a hard year, I believe, especially as it comes to the body of Christ. As this year has impacted many of our physical bodies, I believe it's actually impacted our spiritual body, the body of Christ. Some are scared of getting COVID, and so they just stay away. Some don't care. Some are mad that some don't care. Some think that we're too masked up. Others think that you shouldn't be masked up. Others shame you for masking or not masking. And there's division that can happen even inside of our own church family. Would you have ever thought that there'd be such friction over a year like this? It's a smart bomb from the enemy to sneak in and to divide us in such ways. You know, the enemy, he's, he's an idiot. The devil, he, he is dumb, but he's just old. <laughs> and he's been around. And he just knows how we act and how we respond. And he knows how fragile we can be in relationship to one another. And he knows how to easily make us offended with one another. To where it would splinter off the body of Christ to where we can no longer be together and worship together. Some are staying home, some are joining us online. Either way is, is fine, but it's definitely not the same feel as having every person together under the same roof, worshiping together, greeting one another, shaking hands, hugging, right? The body of Christ has suffered because we don't do those things. Seeing one another's smiley faces, believe it or not, this is a way that we suffer when we're not together. And when there's not the priority of being together. Can I tell you the last two weeks have been nice to sit at home in pajamas in the comfort of my own couch or bed on a Sunday morning. And that to me scares me to death. The, such, the, the, the casual approach that I had on a Sunday morning to the presence of God scared me. And how comfortable it was to approach the body of Christ or to be disconnected with the body of Christ and to be okay with it 
scared me. Because we're called to be together, not to have members of the body not no longer connected to that body. It's a dangerous place. And the enemy is very smart how he can fracture the body and keep us disconnected. You compound that with the actual loss of members of that body, the loss of Flo Terhune this past week. Our body is aching. We don't have that piece of our body anymore. I officiated Flo, her memorial. We did a graveside service, and it was just her kids. Flo was wild and wonderful. She was a wild woman. Y'all, y'all know this Flo that I'm talking about. Don't leave me up here by myself. And at the end of it, we shared some Flo stories. And her son, Chip, had his cell phone there. And he played this song by Ray Charles that was just so fitting of Flo. Some of you have some pretty awesome flow stories. And you know what? I'm aching that I'll no longer see Flo. My last Sunday here before I went into quarantine, Flo sat right here. And I remember going up to her. And I greeted her. And we did a virtual fist bump. Flo, how are you? So good to see you. And you never know that that's the last time you will ever see that person on the planet again. And it's lonely and it leaves you aching. And I see we got some Howard Court family back here that lived around the corner from Flo. And it's not just the body of Christ as far as a church family. It's a community member and maybe even somebody that you were close friends with. But the body begins to ache. This morning, the title of my message is A Weary World Rejoices. A weary world rejoices because there are these times in hardship. And I look back on this 2020 year, and this is a time when people have gone through financial hardships, maybe relational hardships. Maybe there's been wedges, not just in a church family, but in your family when it comes to all of these issues. Man, this has been polarizing in our government, in our politics. It has been so divisive in a nation and upheaval, and riots, and murders, and people have have died, whether from sickness or from attacks. It has been quite a year where it's been laden with heaviness. And as we compare the times in which Jesus entered the scene at his birth to the times that we're walking through in 2020, it's fascinating to see In our time of political unrest, we have a president and a president-elect that both just want to wipe each other out. We have upheaval in leadership, and it's the same thing that was happening during in Israel and Jerusalem at the same time. Jesus was born at a time when King Herod reigned, and shortly after him, his son, Archelaus, was the ruler of Israel. Both of them were cutthroat murderers. The times in which Jesus entered were similar, but I would say even more exponentially chaotic in their times. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 and read this story of where Jesus entered the scene. 
in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Can I just tell you this right now? These Magi, these wise men, were not at the birth of Jesus. Do you, do you see this? Jesus was already born, then they show up and they say, where is this Jesus that was already born? I hate to tell you, but your precious moments nativity scene is not right. And I know you spent a lot of money on that. I know you inherited it from grandma. Please keep hanging it up there, but the three wise men, we don't even know if there was three of them, but they weren't there, okay? So they show up later, and they say, where's the one that's already been born? They don't even know where he was. We saw this star that rose, and so we came to worship him. <coughs> when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Now, we got to ask real quick, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who King Herod was in just a moment, but there's this unrest in a king when you hear there's another king in your territory. Where's the king of the Jews? He's like, I'm here. I'm the king of the Jews. I'm King Herod. They said, no, no, no. Another king has been born, and he's here, and there's stars that are aligning in the sky that are pointing him out. We've got to find this man. And now King Herod, he's disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. Real quick, he points this out because Bethlehem was tiny town, Israel. It was Fairmount. It was Summitville. It was, it was this discarded town. The population was probably 300 to 500 people. Okay, it was just kind of a, a cluster of people, just a group of people. They may have had a four-way stop sign, who knows, but that's about it. Maybe a flashing light, but only a flashing light. And this is what Bethlehem is. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, go and search carefully for the child. Listen, child, not baby, okay? So he's at least a year, maybe two years along uh, in, his, in his growth now before the wise men show up. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. King Herod is sneaky. Hey, tell me where he's at. I want to go worship too. No, no, no. King Herod want to know where he's at because he wanted to wipe him out. After they had heard, of the king, uh, heard the king, they went their way, and the star that they had seen, when it rose, it went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. There's this time that Herod makes this angry pivot from just leading his people to now I'm going to kill some of my own people. I'm going to destroy some of the youngest lives in our community. During this time, and as we've experienced COVID-19, that the most susceptible people are those with already compromised immune systems, we see that there was disease going on where many infant uh, deaths would occur. So the fact that young people would have died wouldn't have been necessarily a surprise, except that it comes at the king, at the hand of the king. So King Herod knows that Jesus has been on the planet for a couple years now, and he makes this decree. We're going to wipe out all of the, of the male uh, two-year-old boys, two years old and younger. And this is called the massacre of the innocents. This type of act was typical of King Herod, and I want to tell you why. King Herod is this deranged ruler. He had, he had his wife killed. He had about 10 wives, and he had his favorite wife killed, and multiple sons, at least two. Possibly he killed three of his own sons during his lifetime. Herod's immediate response to anybody that would, that would rival his kingship was just to eliminate them. The professor, William Albright, he estimates that the population of Bethlehem at Jesus' birth was about 300 people. The number of male children, two years old and younger, would have been maybe a dozen kids, is what we're talking. So there weren't hundreds and hundreds of boys at the time. When you think about Fairmount, a town of, of under 3,000 people, and maybe in one school year, we might have you know 20 to 40 kids, who knows? Half of them are male, and you got to think, that's 3,000 in a town. How much? 300 people. We're talking maybe a dozen, maybe half a dozen kids is all that this is going to be. His home, this is talking about King Herod. His home was a mess. Just a, an opened can of worms. Ten wives, each of them producing sons and princes coming up after him. These princes that were scheming against one another to succeed as the number one to come out as the king. There's this collateral plot that's taking place inside of his own family to see who's going to be the next king. Josephus, he writes this account in history. It's this hideous tale of what's going on inside of King Herod's family. There's attempted poisonings on other princes, one brother against another. This so rattled Herod that he actually put to death three of his own sons on suspicion of treason. He put to, to death a wife, one out of his ten wives. Miriam was his favorite, and she was a princess. He put her to death and also killed his mother-in-law, one of his mother-in-law's. He had 10. I know maybe there's times when you get frustrated with that mother-in-law. But he went the full step and had her eliminated. He invited the high priest down to Jericho for a swim 
one day. Listen to how sneaky he is. They played a, a very rough game of water polo, and he drowned him. This is the high priest. This is inviting your pastor over for lunch after church and saying, hey, let's go swim. And drowning the guy while you're playing water polo. He killed several uncles. He had a couple of his cousins killed. Some have even said that he was such a family man because he didn't exclude any of his family from death. As a matter of fact, Augustus himself, to whom Herod was very different to uh, in their relationship, Augustus said, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. At least the pig has a chance to live. So here's who King Herod is. And King Herod issues this decree that all of the babies two years old and younger are going to die. Can I remind you of this? Anybody whose life is taken because of Jesus Christ is considered a martyr. Could we possibly say that these handful of young boys were the first Christian martyrs who gave up their life because Jesus Christ had entered the scene? And now there's collateral damage in a dozen families because Jesus has come and my son is dead because of your son. Your son came and my son had to give up his life. Jesus enters into hardship. Why couldn't, why couldn't he have come at 30 years old on a white horse, entered the scene, and I'm here to save my people? But he comes as a vulnerable baby, hanging out in the womb of a teenager, born into hardship, and the result of his birth is the death of his classmates around him. Imagine going to school and you know that six of your classmates aren't there because of you. This is what happens when Jesus enters the scene. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 14, we continue. It says, so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night and he left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. I want you to think about the radical obedience of Joseph. He's listening to God. Where do we go? What's the next step? Where, what, what's happening? Joseph gave up a massive piece of his life. Joseph is probably in his late teens or early 20s when an angel visits him and he says, your fiance is pregnant. She's going to have a baby. It is not your son. And Joseph secretly wants to, 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 to get rid of Mary. He doesn't want to shame her, but he wants to leave the scene. I don't want to be a part of this anymore until an angel comes and says, Joseph, it's okay. You're going to raise the son of God. Stick with me on this one. Joseph is already away from home because when the census was given, he had to return back to his, his family's lineage home. So he's left home. He started his own carpentry business. He's financially trying to make it. He's going to have a son on the way with his, with his pregnant teenage high school girlfriend, and they're not ready for this moment. Maybe you've been in that moment. How about this? Jesus is not afraid to enter the scene in the midst of controversy and scandal. He's not afraid of your scandal. He's not afraid of your controversy. He's not afraid of entering into your hardship or to my hardship. He could have come in all kinds of glory and pomp and circumstance like Aladdin. 
coming in on elephants. But he comes in the womb of a teenager that had a yes in her heart. And the obedience of Joseph to give up his life and to give up his new business, to leave Nazareth and to go to Bethlehem, this tiny town where there's no business going on, to have a baby and then to exit and to go to Egypt and then to hang out in Egypt until the king dies, only for his son to rise up who has the same venomous, murderous spirit as his father to then head back to Israel and to get detoured while on his way and then to head over to Nazareth. The obedience of Joseph, the financial struggle, the loss of job after moving from job to job to job. Anybody experienced that in your teens and, and 20s? Maybe 30s, maybe 40s you've experienced that. And he's got this young family that he's been called by God to lead. So verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 15, he stayed there till the death of Herod so that it was fulfilled that the Lord would say that the prophet came out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill the boys of, of Bethlehem and around its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what he said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel came and appeared to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So who knows how long he was in Egypt, but he probably tried to get his business going again, and God says, shut it all down again. Would you have extravagant obedience to do whatever God called you to do in the midst of confusion, the lack of clarity, to raise someone else's son, to shoulder the burden and the task and say, yes, God, whatever you've called me to do, even to my own financial ruin. I will follow you. God, I could make a lot of more money over here. And yet you sacrifice all to have extravagant obedience. So he did it. He got up and he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in the town of Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said to the prophets, that he'd be called a Nazarene. Let's look at Joseph's obedience, this extravagant obedience. And this extravagant obedience flowed out of an encounter. You in and of yourself, me in and of myself, I'm not good enough to obey to the ends of the earth like that. No one is. But when you live in encounter with God, and he had these angel visits depositing insight to him. And church family, can I plead with you to live in the presence? Obedience is so much easier when it flows from presence. Mm. Obedience is a lot easier when it comes out of this place where you've had encounter with the God-man. Times when he had been alone 
with God. And I want to encourage us, man, these times that you've been in quarantine, I sure hope that you're making these times to be alone with God. Please don't just use these times of quarantine to disconnect from God, to disconnect from the family of God, to disconnect from your own family, just to be so disconnected where these wedges can, can sneak in. Joseph had these times alone where he had power encounters with God and he had a yes in his heart to where there was mega obedience that flowed from him. Check out his trek here. It was a 100-mile trek from Judea to Bethlehem. It was a 430-mile trek from Bethlehem to Egypt. Then it was a 670-mile journey from Egypt to Israel. Then it was a 130-mile trek from Israel to Nazareth, either on foot or on a donkey, not in the comfort of your heated seats and your plush leather reclining all-wheel drive, whatever it is. No cameras in his car. He wasn't watching House of Cards while he drove the trek all over the Middle East. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and the peace. There will be no end. You know, we hear a lot of these messages in December about the manger, the stable, the animals, what Jesus had experienced. The drama of the night would have gone nowhere if there would have been room in the Hampton Inn. The story is so much bigger, the fact that there was no place for this guy. He was overlooked. He was unwanted. They tried to murder him, squeeze him out of the storyline. But the best parts of the story are all of these little curveballs. And the wonderful counselor, mighty God, came in a small seven-pound package in Mary's womb. And when God comes to rescue, he doesn't show up on a horse, but he comes in the arms of those that he came to save. He didn't come disconnected from his people. He came woven through the hearts and minds of the very people he wanted to save. For a moment, and I see Jessica holding her little, her little swaddling baby here. We see, isn't it amazing how vulnerable Kaylin is? That she could be wiped out at any little moment with any little accident or intentionality. And Jesus comes in the most vulnerable places and feels totally safe. And not only does he come in that place and feel safe, he is in absolute, total authority. He comes in a state just like this, and he's in charge. <laughs> and I want to encourage you this Christmas, that no matter the chaos, no matter how weary the world is, can I tell you, we don't have to live in fear. We've been created in the image of one who can be in the most vulnerable places and know he's in the safest place because he's in the will of God. I want to encourage you that if you can live a life of obedience, you are in the safest place you ever 
can be. And Jesus is in charge of our life. Jesus is reigning and ruling over COVID. Jesus is reigning and ruling over our presidency. Jesus is reigning and ruling over our nation and over your home. And the more that we say yes in the midst of this hardship, the more we will feel the safety and comfort of the Lord. And I'll wrap with this. I believe that few things are more tragic than taking Christmas, just taking it in stride. The spirit of Christmas, the the awe of Christmas, that alluring sense of the supernatural goodness of mankind are not just for us as children. They're for us as grown-ups, especially, I would say, for us as grown-ups. And God forbid that we would ever just blow by Christmas and think of it as anything less. Hamilton Wright maybe said this, Blessed is the season which engages the whole world in a conspiracy of love. You know the conspiracies that go on in your house? This was happening last night with Alyssa. She had hid a gift in my own office. And then she, I went into my office, and so she moved it into the kitchen. Well, I had moved into the kitchen. That's why I love living in the kitchen. And then she had covered it with towels and with blankets. And, and then Ronnie comes in and moves all the towels, and then she has to cover it back up. Why? Because we love the thrill of surprise. We love opening something on Christmas morning. We love the energy and excitement that there is. And there's something here that's so remarkable. Even in this story where pagan astrologers are drawn to the God-man of Jesus Christ. We see that even the blue-collar workers, the farmers and the shepherds are drawn into who this God-man truly is. They traveled from the west. They traveled from the east. The whole world was peeking in on who this guy was. It caused upheaval in the kingdom. King Herod, and, and he's raising sons to figure out how to murder this kid. He showed up in massive amounts of controversy, the slaughtering of innocent young babies. Something so unusual about how God would show up. And in Luke 2, 18, it says, All who heard about Jesus' birth were in wonderment. And so, I want to just end with this hymn we sang earlier. The thrill of hope, because a weary world rejoices. Yonder breaks, it's a new and a glorious morn. And our response is to fall on our knees as we hear the angelic voices. O night divine, the night when Christ was born. Church family, I want to say a happy and merry Christmas. And during this time, can we focus on Jesus, the one who has overcome all things, the one who is not afraid of those things that might bring division and hurt and death and wipe us out. He comes in the midst of all of it. And I'm banking on and believing that our church family is going to celebrate well, that we're going to bask in the richness of who this God-man is, that we're going to celebrate in unity as a family. Maybe it's your personal family, it's our spiritual family. But Jesus also wants to enter your own controversy, your own hardship, and your own scandal. He's not afraid of it. He's not blushing. 
He wants to enter it and bring a thrill of hope in the midst of your weariness. We're going to close this morning. Would you all stand with me as we close and we, we wrap up our Christmas morning? Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that you're good even when life is hard, you're good. Jesus, even when it seems like death is at the door, that's when you enter the scene. Lord, I just pray over every family that's here, for those that are just aching and they're in pain, they're hurting, they're sick, their bodies are, are failing. Lord, I pray that you would come in like a flood this Christmas season, that your presence would be real. Lord, I pray that we would have encounter moments with you, just like Joseph had these moments, like Mary had encounter. Lord, I pray that we would have encounter with you, Lord. And we just say happy birthday, Jesus. We thank you that you've come to the world to free us and to save us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.